The US Justice Department says it's led an international effort to disrupt the cryptocurrency exchange Bizlato, which it accuses of operating as a high-tech hub for criminals. The Russian founder of Bizlato, Anatoly Legkodimov, has been arrested in Miami. The US Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco said anyone who'd benefited from the hub was now a target. To all of those exploiting the cryptocurrency ecosystem to enable crypto crime, we have a clear message. We will not only target hackers, fraudsters, and criminals that mask their profits in cryptocurrency, we are also unleashing the full force of the Department of Justice on the illicit actors and entities that support cyber criminals like Legodimov and Bitslato. The United Nations Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, has said the world is flirting with climate disaster as he urged more concerted action from business leaders gathered at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Mr Guterres told companies to put forward credible net-zero pledges. He also called for fossil fuel firms to be held to account following the release of a critical report. We learned last week that certain fossil fuel producers were fully aware in the 70s that their core product was baking our planet. And just like the tobacco industry, they rode roughshod over their own science. Some in big oil peddled the big lie. Researchers have determined that Greenland's ice cap was hotter in the first decade of this century than at any time over the past 1,000 years. Studying ice core samples taken from the ice sheets covering much of the huge island, they also found that the opening decade was 1.5 degrees Celsius warmer in north and central Greenland than it was in the last century. The scientists say the resulting melting of the ice sheet is now contributing significantly to global sea levels. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Well, hello and good morning. I'm Richard Harris. Yes, it really is me. I've been away working on my doctorate in finance. Naturally, an important qualification needed to present Money Talk. I'm here to ease you into the holiday and welcome you into the new year. And it's Thursday, 19th of January, 2023, and here are your new business news headlines for today. All those good people at Davos were bullish yesterday. Not quite so today. Dollar touches a seven-month low overnight. A long-awaited Bank of Japan uh, announcement yesterday pushed back against market speculators but did nothing to deal with its interest rate and economic growth gloom. Microsoft cuts 10,000 jobs and Janet Yellen and her counterpart Liu He plan to meet in Beijing later in the year. Well, our guests today are fully packed in terms of their economic knowledge. Joining us in Queensway studio is the good Dr. Enzio van Fahl of Wealth Investment Strategist and Frederick Chu, who's Managing Director at Magnum Research. And on our second segment, we'll be joined by Jeff Howey, who's a market strategist in Singapore. For those of you who like to hear all of our great guests again, as well as a podcast of all of our other programs, don't forget to download the great RTHK app, RTHK On The Go. It's free, which is the best value you're likely to get from a business program. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Okay, let's get down to business, at least the markets. As on the markets, US stocks ended the day down after weak economic data rekindled concern over the outlook for growth in corporate earnings. 
Producer prices slid by the most since the start of the pandemic and retail sales fell by most in a year. The Dow index was down 1.8% to 33,297. The S&P fell 1.6%, the worst decline in a month, now standing at 3,928. While the tech-heavy Nasdaq 100 cut a seven-day rally and that ended down 1.2% to 10,957. The FTSE was down 0.2 to end at 7,830. The euro stocks was flat. Japan's, Japan's Nikkei index was the standout market. That was up a full 2.5% to 26,791. And Hong Kong stocks um, resumed uh, its upward march, along with most other Asian markets. Uh, traders brushed off a weak lead from Wall Street. The Hang Seng added 0.5% or 100 points to 21,678. Shanghai Composite was flat at 3,224. In terms of the currencies, well, the dollar touched a seven-month low, reversing a trend that dominated much of 2022. Lower expectations of sharp Federal Reserve rate rises eased pressure on the markets. The fall in the US currency was one of the steepest since the aftermath of the global financial crisis. Euros trading at 108. The British pound was unchanged at $1.24, and that's uh, 9.66 Hong Kong dollars to the pound. And the Japanese yen dropped as much as 2.6% against the dollar after the Bank of England's doubling down. The bond market treasury yields fell across the curve on bets that weak data would prompt the Fed to downshift its tightening policy. Two Fed officials recruited calls, however, for more rate hikes, even after further signs the economy was softening. St. Louis Fed President Bullard said that he was penciling in a rate range of 525 to 5.5% by the end of this year. The Treasury 10-year yield slipped a little to 3.37. Brent oil slipped a bit to $84.80, although there was a report from the International Energy Authority that global oil demand was set to reach a record high as China reopens. Well, we'll see about that. Gold has disappointed inflation bulls, still trading at uh, $1,905 an ounce. And in news, we have uh, quite a bit coming out of Davos today. That's the World Economic Forum. Uh, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz uh, was upbeat in his address to the World Economic Forum, telling delegates that Europe's biggest economy is back on track after transi- transitioning away from Russian gas, on which it was highly dependent. It's now pretty well focused on uh, global sources. Uh, for a, for a former U.S. Treasury Secretary Lawrence Summers was slightly more optimistic about the global economy. The head of Abu Dhabi's uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund felt that China's recovery could affect world markets, and that was something echoed by the chief executive of Norway's Sovereign Wealth Fund, which is the largest in the world, warning that a Chinese bounce back could spark inflation. So we saw quite a bearish view today coming out of Davos from various people. The chief executive of the Norwegian Sovereign Fund foresaw a new cycle of U.S. interest rate rises, uh, which would add pressure on markets. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and her Chinese counterpart Liu He plan to hold meetings in Beijing and Washington later this year, continuing the government's efforts to ramp up face-to-face engagement. And the long-awaited Bank of Japan move, as we said, pushed against market advice or the advice of most experts, seemed to do nothing about its economic problems, and they're sticking with the yield curve control, which is a way of trying to control interest rates. However, we did see uh, a big weakening of the yen, uh, down something like 2% after the decision.
Another corporate front, Microsoft, is planning to cut 10,000 jobs, Amazon another 18,000. That follows on job losses from Tesla, Goldman Sachs and Bank of America pausing hiring. Well, the only person isn't at Davos is Fed Chairman Jay Powell, who has COVID. He's said to have mild symptoms and is working at home. We wish him the best. The markets are watching. It's currently 8 to 11. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio 3. Well, in Queensway studio, and I can see him on the link here, is uh, the good doctor, my friend Enzio von File. Good morning, Enzio. Morning to you, Richard. Uh, I hope you're well this morning. I know you're up very early preparing for this. Very well. Thank you very much. Anyway, why don't we start with Davos, because that's the big oh, thing yes. this week. I know you had a few fairly strong views on, on Davos, I think, just looking through the first two, three days. Well, I just am amazed how they switch their views so quickly. I mean, they're not really traders. Um, if about a week within the last fortnight they've been quite negative on global growth and all of a sudden we are festooned in the yesterday's FT with the headline IMF outlook turns brighter as world copes with upheaval and I don't quite know maybe IMF stands for I am fired but I don't know what um, exactly what has sort of changed within the past two weeks that, that would make this, that would give them this volt fuss. Um, and so instead of predicting a tougher 2002-3 now, Managing Director Gita Gopinath re- expects an improvement the second half of the year into, into 2024. No justification given, just maybe a, a hope and a prayer. Well, it does seem rather odd, doesn't it, that uh, people are coming up with so many different views, but it seems that people are drawing optimism from things that are starting to happen, say, over the last six to eight weeks, and relatively, but not really focusing back on what's happened previously. So, for instance, we've got inflation, where the UK has just announced 10.5%, Europe's just announced it in the nines, the US is in the sevens. These have all come down, but they've come down minuscule amounts. Yes. When you think that US inflation, UK inflation, has been knocking around less than 2% for the last several years. Yeah, I, I, again, on the inflation front, I think listeners may recall my view, which is that there's so much of this inflation is still supply side driven. In other words, the, um, the, the, the sort of improvement in the Chinese economy means that there'll be, um, higher oil prices, especially with the shale investments in the U.S. having gone south, higher copper and steel prices, and the weather keeps wreaking havoc because of those beasts, El Nino and La Nina. Funny, the war in Ukraine keeps curtailing the breadbaskets, grain exports, and keeps on pumping up fertilizer prices. So there are plenty of upward pistons in the inflation story, which cannot be solved by demand-driven monetary policy, in other words, by trying to curtail demand because these are supply-side issues. That's right. But we've also got quite a lot of inflation from the other side. Uh, We've got strikes in the UK. Yes, good point. Strikes in in the US. And, And the man in the street is starting to think, hold on, if I am paying it's even 5% more a year, then mm. I want a little bit more cash. 
Yes, there, I, I don't think, I think that because we're undergoing such structural changes that there are going to be huge problems with, um, with, with job security coming, going forward. And I think that's going to be also an issue that we need to look at. Again, lots of structural changes going on that go way beyond just the cyclical stuff in my economic clock. Uh, what's your economic clock? The economic clock is suggesting that the it's, – it's a way of telling the time for the economic cycle, and it's suggesting that the economic time in America will continue worsening and will continue improving very, very bumpily in China, but on at least the better economic time in China than the U.S., which would lead to Chinese outperformance. All right. Well, let's uh, introduce Frederick Chu, who's uh, Managing Director at – Magnum Research, uh, which is an online wealth management service. Uh, uh, you're online, are you? Aren't you, Frederick? Yeah, yes, I am. Good so morning. You, so you're plugging in your headphones there. Just now, yeah. Um, what, what's your view then? I mean, Enzo is just talking about the American economic cycle and the fact that, well, uh, we're, we're, we're it's a bit like the doomsday clock. We're we're ticking further up towards midnight. <laughs> <laughs> what's your view on it? Yeah, I, I think I think that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, if you look at the uh, um, this year, I think I think we in a sort of like a dilemma where the inflation remains at a fairly high level, whereas the interest rate obviously um, cannot sustain uh, at, at, at a more high level. I think w w on the flip side, it's um, w when people are looking at how China is performing at the moment. Obviously, the opening up of, of the of the border, uh, scrapping all the quarantines, uh, most of the quarantines controls, and we, we just saw in the news, you know, the, the whole population of, of Guangzhou uh, has got 80% already uh, infected, um, which means that you know we, we achieved somehow what we what we're hoping to achieve for the past six months. Um, and I think from that aspect, uh, what we can probably uh, uh, you know anticipate is is a pickup in uh, consumption at least. Uh, whereas you know the the the, the um, domestic uh, travels, inbound travels uh, into into China might be uh, picking up. Uh, however, I, I do not think the um, the uh, at, at the micro, at, at the macro aspects uh, that China can be standalone from the rest of the world. Um, one one of the one of the upside on the on the capital markets uh, is is that we are looking forward to uh, some sort of more favorable policy coming up from top down. Which may help for the you know first couple of quarters of of the year. Well, what sort of policies then are you looking at in China? We've now got, done a segue from global inflation. Let's have a look at China for a little bit. What sort of are we looking at new policies? Because we've had this big volt fuss in terms of COVID, and we've got everyone saying, well, China's going to have real revenge recovery here. But what new policies do you think coming down the line? Yeah, I think uh, rather than uh, new, it probably be a reinforcement of, of the of the previous policies, especially on, you know, uh, monetary uh, on M two on um, uh, beefing up consumptions, uh, stabilizing the real estate. Uh, I, I think more favorable financing terms will be giving out to to the developers uh, to to finish off what they have been, uh, you know, on these on these uh, unfinished projects. Uh, so on the on the other side, um, probably giving more. Uh, incentives for the home buyers uh, because you know 
consumption is, is obviously the, the bigger portion of the uh, sorry real estate is obviously the um, biggest portion of, of the consumption um, and then uh, you know uh, some sort of things like that I, I think uh, we, we're going to see uh, a couple more in the in, in the in the you know first few months but uh, NCO mm. uh, as we all know with economics you know it's a bit like whack-a-mole if you whack one mole another one pops up surely stimulating the uh, economy in that way is just going to lead to another bubble in property market. I'm not really au fait enough with the property market to be able to give a reasoned answer on that. I, I, I agree with your analogy, um, I, but I think that the overall sign for me is that there are 5.9 trillion won in savings accounts in China, one trillion of which could be ported into the stock market. I think that's pretty good news, actually. But as far as the property market goes, I'm just not qualified to really give a reasoned response. I'm sorry. What about inflation, though, Frederick? First, in China inflation—that sounds pretty inflationary. Uh, yeah, at the, at the moment, I think it's still relatively uh, low uh, compared with the um, uh, you know external counterparts. Um, I think in the in the in the next couple of uh, couple of months, we will see some upticks on that. Um, but I don't think you know the, the government is good at uh, balancing you know the the, the, the inflation and, uh, and and interest and uh, and mortgage etc on the on the on the fair, on a fair basis. Um, so I think it will still be you know maintained at the at the, at the fairly um, uh, you know acceptable level to to the central government. Uh, NGO on growth, China growth. Let's mm. look at the other side of the equation. What are your thoughts there? I think that it's just going to be very bumpy with some upward trajectory. Um, again, I don't see this, what the investment houses seem to be touting, that it's all going to go ziggledy-ding and Merlin with the magic wand comes up and all of a sudden it goes through the roof. I'm not seeing that because I think that the if an economy has been on its back for three years, you don't just sort of turn it on. It doesn't work. Um, and it just doesn't sort of rebound immediately. I think there's too much shock in the system. There's too much job insecurity. People are still getting infected, as Frederick pointed out, with the COVID. So there's a lot of job insecurity, a lot of wariness also about um, the infectious diseases coming through again, perhaps other strains, unfortunately. So... I think that the growth will go up a little bit, but I'm not. I, I'm not seeing some sort of dramatic heck of an improvement. What do you think, uh, Frederick? How quickly is this revenge spending going to come in? Yeah, I, th I think it's coming along. It's Chinese New Year around the corner. I think. I think the consumption is mm. coming along. But um, like I said, uh, you know, it's, it's only that much uh, for how long time that the people could actually do. Uh, the government can put in a couple of uh, injections, but then eventually, you know, China it's it's not standalone. You have to you have to cope with you know the ongoing you know geopolitical tensions, you know, the global macroeconomy performance, etc. Uh, I, th I think the, the fact that, you know, Tesla is putting down prices in China, that tells you something about, you know, how, how these, how these uh, you know, uh, global environment is, is heading into. So uh, it's pretty, um, you know, a, a bit optimistic on the, on the capital market for the first half, but then, you know, got to be cautious for the remaining of the year still. Well, uh, so we've got some optimism, some caution. China looks maybe better than the rest of yes. uh, 
rest of the pack. Uh, thank you very much, gentlemen. We've come to the end of that segment, but uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, we've had Enzio von Feil, who's the wealth investment strategist, and Frederick Chu, who's managing director at Magnum Research. Five, six, seven a.m. Radio three. Okay, well, let's move now to Singapore, where Jeff Howie is on the phone. He's the market strategist of the Singapore Exchange, SGX. Uh, how are you doing this morning, Jeff? I'm good, very good, uh, Richard. Thank you very much. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. All the better from hearing from you. Now, um, I was in Singapore not very long ago and uh, spent a little bit of time there. It's booming. It's uh, it's had a it had it had a pretty good year, but uh, very much I guess like the conversation you were just having, we are at a crossroad. Uh, we've had a pretty strong, resilient year last year. We booked three point eight percent year on year growth after seven point six percent the year before. But we are a very trade centred economy, and uh, much uh, I guess will depend also on China. I think it's one in five of our tourists do actually come from the mainland, and uh, being so trade centred, as you would notice, in such an international uh, city state, the weakening global demand, the supply chain uh, challenges that you've been discussing, that creates obviously the operational cost pressures and. That these are going to be really uh, strong themes that we're watching in the year ahead. Uh, you know, s- sitting at the precipice, looking at, okay, we've got slowing growth and we've got, uh, as you've mentioned before, persistent inflation. Uh, you know, we, we, we definitely have our fair share challenges ahead. Um, I guess just to, to point out how much that trade-centred nature works through, when you look at the GDP, you've got four mega segments. You've got manufacturing, wholesale trade, finance and insurance, and of course, information and communications. So so that makes up around 60% of our economy. Uh, and when you look at uh, what we did in 2021, uh, those sectors really drove that big global rebound we saw. But they would be equally expected to be impacted by any further growth uh, moderation that we see this year. Uh, and in, in comparison, uh, four of the um, biggest segments or the most resilient segments at the moment in early 2023 that you, you would have certainly noticed looking around on the street is construction, F&B services, uh, real estate and retail trade. But those four segments alone comprise less than 10% of our economy. So um, good news, for the, I guess, for the stock market is you have much representation across all the sectors but nonetheless when it comes to the economy uh, we do have uh, certain strengths that uh, can obviously provide some challenges in, in in the months and quarters ahead. How much is the government able to if you like, determine some of these issues. You know, uh, most companies, mo- most countries will have issues with sort of uh, unemployment, interest rates, uh, inflation, those sort of things. But Singapore, of course, very open economy, uh, very uh, uh, affected by the outside world. How much can the government actually control some of these major global issues to make them uh, maybe more effective where they're positive in Singapore and less effective where they're negative? Yeah, you know, our, our, our key policy, similar to Hong Kong, I guess, is, is the currency and a currency ban to the US. So the MAS, from a monetary policy perspective, it began its very gradual tightening 
way back in October 2021 and uh, slightly uh, increased the slope of the Sing dollar uh, to, to the US dollar. Uh, and then what it's done since then is make three adjustments uh, of in- inclining that slope more as well as three recenterings of the band. So in effect, it's, I guess it's made six changes to its current to the currency band, and the currency band is obviously super important uh, in terms of the amount of inflation that comes into Singapore. Given, as we said, we're, we're a very trade-centered economy, and then on the government, on the other hand, like you say, it is it does have that conundrum of most central banks across the world at the moment, in that cost of living prices have increased. Uh, so for the man on the street, um, generally, as we've seen post-COVID and with those supply chain pressures you mentioned before, it has disproportionately affected those who are less less well off. So the government has to find a way to find the right leaders to uh, basically support and provide assurance to the lesser income uh, earning, so low to mid-income earning uh, population, while at the same time not being too expansionary to negate the efforts of the MAS, the central bank. So we'll get a lot more clarity on the 14th of Feb. So that's in less than uh, in less than a month. We have our annual budget, and I guess the detail uh, across making sure that the six million people are uh, providing a good, having a good enough uh, economic base and direction for the year ahead. It was a pretty long budget. I remember last year uh, listening through it, and I think the, the the finance minister spoke for a good hour and a half uh, outlaying all the measures that were coming through. Uh, one change that we've done this year is increase GST by 1%, and on the back of that, it's actually going to increase the inflation, of course, by one percentage point as well. So we are expected to have uh, inflation this year at around... Uh, 6.5% in Singapore, just like it was last year, uh, with that 1% added from the GST. So the government does have a balancing act to do, per se, um, not be too expansionary, um, obviously, to negate what the central bank's doing, much like the problems uh, that the big world is facing, and then uh, and then at the same time provide enough sort of GST assurance and find a way to also uh, raise money for our ageing population. So, uh, yeah. It's, so a lot of, uh, lot, of, lot of stuff to do there, but it's also going to be all changed because you've got a new Prime Minister waiting in the wings. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who is the Finance Minister, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister? Um, but let, let, let's, uh, let's, let's hope we all have smooth sailing before now and then. I mean, it, you know, as we've seen over the last three years, much can happen, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, that, that's right. And uh, uh, Prime Ministers have come and go in a number of countries recently, but um, I'm sure this well, one... your will... country and my country. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Country. We're racing each other. So it's nice to sort of see a country where, <laughs> where there is an element of stability and um, uh, government can plan for the long term. Well, thanks very much, Jeff. That's um, been uh, very interesting. We we'll look forward to hearing from you again, and maybe I'll see you next time I'm in Singapore. Yeah, look forward to it. Make sure you do, Richard. It'd be great to have a coffee. Thank you. Absolutely. Catch you then. Well, looking at the markets, how they're opening today, the uh, futures, Hang Seng futures down uh, 0.8%, uh, Japanese down 09 so it looks as if it might be slightly gloomier than it was yesterday. Um, we're looking at the weather, which is fine and dry during the day, cool 
as you probably realise already, the high will be 19. Currently, it's uh, 15 degrees and 75% relative humidity. I'm Richard Harris, and this has been Money Talk. And now the half-hour news with Barry O'Rourke. The operator of several COVID PCR testing centres says he expects the long queues at the sites to worsen today and tomorrow. Ricky Chu was commenting after some lawmakers urged authorities to scrap the PCR test requirement for cross-border travellers, saying it'll be difficult for some returning Hong Kongers to find a testing centre open on the mainland during Lunar New Year. Mr Chu told RTHK that people with a booking had been waiting half an hour for their test while walk-ins took up to two hours. He explained why it was difficult to boost capacity. We have already tried to increase the manpower, but I think the bottleneck now that I realise is the limitations of the venue as well as the computers that the government available for us. And that limits how much stations and how much booth that we can increase in each site. The managing director of Worldwide Cruise Terminals says he doesn't expect the sector to fully recover until 2026, as cruise lines usually book tours three years in advance. Jeff Bent was commenting after Hong Kong welcomed back overseas cruise tourists on Wednesday for the first time in three years. But he said the Kai Tak Cruise Terminal could expect around 10 international liners to visit this year, compared to 19 before the pandemic broke out. He urged the government to remove the remaining COVID restrictions on travellers. For visiting cruise lines, people aged 12 and up need to be fully vaccinated and they need to do an RAT test before they arrive. And then, of course, on shore, they need to mask. And none of these are necessary in, in most places around the world now. So it, it does make uh, Hong Kong a bit of an outlier. Eight people have been confirmed dead after an avalanche on Tuesday evening in the city of Ningchi in Tibet. The avalanche occurred at an exit of a tunnel, trapping people and vehicles. The head of the Ukrainian police force has been appointed acting interior minister following the death of his predecessor in a helicopter crash in foggy weather. Ihor Klimenko will retain his role as police chief. The crash that killed Denis Monastirsky and 13 others happened in a suburb of Kiev. An investigation is underway. In a video address to delegates at the World Economic Forum in Davos, President Zelensky said those who died in the crash were victims of war. Because of the war experience that my society has now, this is not an accident because it has been due to war. And the war has many dimensions, not just the battlefield. There are no accidents at wartime. These are all the results of war. Absolutely. The US Justice Department says it's led an international effort to disrupt the cryptocurrency exchange Bizlato, which it accuses of operating as a high-tech hub for criminals. The Russian founder of Bislato, Anatoly Legkodimov, has been arrested in Miami. The U.S. Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco said anyone who'd benefited from the hub was now a target. To all of those exploiting the cryptocurrency ecosystem to enable crypto crime, we have a clear message. We will not only target hackers, fraudsters and criminals that mask their profits in cryptocurrency, we are also unleashing the full force of the Department of Justice on the illicit actors and entities that support cyber criminals like Legodimov and Bitslato. 
Israel's Supreme Court has ruled that a key coalition partner of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu cannot serve as a minister because of a recent criminal conviction. Responding to a legal challenge, the judges ruled that the appointment of Aryeh Deri was unreasonable in the extreme because of his conviction for tax offences. He's the leader of the ultra-Orthodox Shas party, which is a big block in Mr Netanyahu's coalition. Tali Gottlieb of Mr Netanyahu's Likud party denounced the ruling. For me, this is a day of mourning when a Supreme Court intervenes. The court today crossed all lines when it interfered with a law passed by a majority of 63 people. I'm sorry, I said on every platform that I didn't think the court would intervene. And now it turns out that the Supreme Court does think it's a hidden ruler. But the Supreme Court is not a hidden ruler and it should remember its place. And finally, researchers have determined that Greenland's ice cap was hotter in the first decade of this century than at any time over the past 1,000 years. Studying ice core samples taken from the ice sheets covering much of the huge island, they also found that the opening decade was 1.5 degrees Celsius warmer in north and central Greenland than it was in the last century. The scientists say the resulting melting of the ice